Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. We might look at our own lives and see just a, a trail of wreckage and a trail of sin, and it seems almost impossible that we could ever recover from it, but the Lord throws it into the depths of the sea, and He doesn't bring it up again, and He puts us on a new path toward a better future. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study through the books of the Old Testament prophets. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on the book of Micah. Now here's Pastor Brian. Most Jewish people don't even think about Jesus. He, he's not part of their thinking process. Now, there are more and more Jewish people that are actually beginning to hear about and consider the possibility that Jesus is someone significant, maybe even the Messiah, some might think. But, but for the long history, that, that hasn't been the case. And for the majority, it's, it's not the case today. So when it says here, for now he shall be great, it's implying that there's a time where he's not great, but that there will be a future time when he is, now he shall be great. That day when their eyes are open, that day when they realize, as Zechariah uh, describes it, that day when um, they look upon me whom they have pierced, the Lord says, and they mourn or lament for him as one does for an only son. And in that day, there shall be a fountain open in Jerusalem for sin and iniquity. So it's on that day. And then he will be great. Micah is telling us exactly that. He shall be great to the ends of the earth. Not only among the Jews, but he shall be great to the ends of the earth. And and of course, once again, the irony is that Jesus is the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. He's the one who the world was made through him, but the world did not know him. And the world still does not know him. But he shall be great to the ends of the earth. Everyone will know the name of Jesus in the future. And it goes on and it speaks of when the, Assyria, when the Assyrian comes into our land and when he treads in our palaces, then we will raise against him seven shepherds and 80 princely men, and they shall waste with the sword the land of Assyria, the land of Nimrod at its entrances, and thus he shall deliver us from the Assyrian when he comes into our land and when he treads within our borders." And so this is a, a bit of a perplexing passage because some people think that it's, it's indicating that after the Lord returns, there's somehow going to be an invasion back into the land and, and he will stand up against that invasion and deliver Israel. Um, it could be that it's speaking of that, but it's not in 
that sequential order of time. So it's looking back on like he was the one that delivered us from the Assyrian when the Assyrian rushed into our land. And the Assyrian could be another name for, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, the kings of the north that come down in Ezekiel's prophecy. The Assyrian could be a synonym for those northern kings because sometimes Assyrian Assyrian kings were spoken of as those who come from the north. So... Verse seven, then the remnant of Jacob shall be in the midst of many people like dew from the Lord, like showers on the grass that tarry for no man nor wait for the sons of men. And the remnant of Jacob shall be among the Gentiles in the midst of many peoples like a lion among the beast of the forest, like a young lion among flocks of sheep who, if he passes through, both treads down and tears in pieces. And so the rest of the chapter goes back to to dealing with some of the issues uh, of sin that God would deal with among the people, cutting off the sorcerers and the soothsayers and dealing with the carved images and the sacred pillars and, and so on down. Now, chapter six, once again, we're back to God pleading with Israel over their hardness of heart. And then in verse nine, through the rest of the chapter, it's dealing again with the punishment that will come upon Israel for their injustice. But chapter seven is where we want to go now. And this is the last chapter. And again, the last chapter begins with, woe is me, Israel is speaking. The faithful man has perished from the earth and there is no one upright among men. So lamenting the state of their society. Verse seven, therefore I will look to the Lord, I will wait for the Lord I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. And now Israel's speaking. Do not, verse 8, rejoice over me, my enemy. When I fall, I will arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he pleads my case and executes justice for me. He will bring me forth to the light and I will see his righteousness. Then she who is my enemy will see and shall, and shame shall cover her who said to me, where is the Lord your God? So this is Israel again in the future, acknowledging their sin, taking responsibility for it. And I want to jump over to the final verses here. Verse 18. Who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity 
and passing over the transgressions of the remnant of his heritage. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity? That question is asked many times over in the Bible. And that truth is acknowledged many times over and marveled at many times over. And it is really a marvel, isn't it, that God forgives iniquity. That there is actually nothing you can do that God will not forgive you for. Think about that. There there are so many things that you could do that uh, people will never forgive you for. And some, for obvious reasons, It'd be hard to imagine forgiving somebody for some atrocity they've committed or something like that. And then some for reasons that many people may not even be able to understand, like, wow, you you know, why don't you just forgive them? No, no, I can't, I can't, I won't. That's the, the human spectrum, but God forgives all iniquity. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's not a thing that that anyone has ever done. You know, sometimes people come up with the the scenario like, okay, what, what if Hitler would have repented? Could God have forgiven him? Well, Hitler did not repent. (laughs) But let's just say hypothetically, yes. If he, if he really repented, God would forgive him because the sins of Hitler were punished when Jesus died on the cross. That's what Jesus was doing. He was taking upon himself the sin of the whole world. There's no one excluded from that. Genghis Khan is not excluded from that. Or any of the, the other more modern day tyrants The question is not, will God forgive? The question is always, will they repent? And the the record seems to indicate that they don't. Because the, the heart, when the heart is set toward hardness, the more you harden it, the harder it gets. But if somehow that wasn't the case, yes, yes, God would forgive. Because he's faithful and just to forgive. And rather than just thinking about those kinds of people, let's think about ourselves because we've all sinned. And sometimes our sins have really affected somebody else. And perhaps you know by experience what it's like to have sinned against somebody and and the difficulty that they've had of forgiving you, and you've even probably understood it. Or maybe somebody sinned against you, and you've had a a hard time forgiving. You know, sometimes people think that forgiveness means, well, I I forgave them, so now I have to welcome them back into my house. We have to become best friends. I have to go on vacation with them you know, that kind of stuff. That's not implied 
in forgiveness. That's a different idea, like of of reconciliation. And forgiveness, on a human level, forgiveness is possible where reconciliation might not be possible. So I can forgive someone truly, but I can't be reconciled to that person because of perhaps what was done, perhaps it's a risk, there's danger involved, you know, things like that. So, so sometimes I think we get hung up and we think, well, I, I, I haven't really forgiven that person because I, I, I don't want to see them. I don't want to spend any time with them. In some cases, that's okay. They're not really safe to, to be around. And God's not requiring you to go be in that kind of a relationship with them. But he is calling you to forgive them. And the wonderful thing is God will help us to do what we can't do. I mean, in some cases you just think, I just, I can't, how can I forgive that person? And you, you maybe don't even have it in you to be able to do it. But when you bring that to God and you say, Lord, I know that I need to forgive this person, but God, I can't. God, would you help me? Would you enable me? He will do that. He will, he will give us the help that we need with that. And of course, we always have to remember that he's pardoned our iniquities. God has forgiven us because that's who he is. He's a forgiving God. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. He will have, again, compassion on us and will subdue our sins. What a great picture of who God is. He delights in mercy. He doesn't retain his anger forever. This is... uh, an echo of Psalm 103. It's very similar to what the psalmist wrote there. And what great um, words to just think about. Doesn't retain his anger forever. You know, isn't it true that sometimes we just, we go around feeling like God is angry with us? Why is that? Well, it could be because maybe of the way we were brought up, maybe when we did something wrong, our parent became angry with us and just stayed angry. Could be that, might not be that. Could just be that the devil wants us to think that God's angry with us, so he's just always whispering that in our ear very subtly. But we need to know that he doesn't retain his anger forever. And, you know, those times when when you have that, it just suddenly it sort of comes on you like this feeling like God's angry with you. Just stop at that moment and say, wait a second. Wait, I, I confess that sin. And wait, no, God's not angry with me. That's not the Lord. He doesn't retain his anger forever. He's slow to anger, as as a matter of fact. 
and he delights in mercy. He delights in mercy. God just loves to show mercy. And when we come to him thinking that the worst is going to happen, thinking the, that the outcome is, is going to be absolutely just horrible. But God, he just has mercy. I forgive you. And that's the end of it. Too, too often, I think, we project our human experiences onto God. I forgive you, but God does not say, I forgive you, but. God just says, I forgive you. And that's because he delights in mercy. He enjoys showing mercy. And he will have compassion. And I love this. He will subdue our sins. He will subdue them. Our sins that rise up against us, our sins that haunt us and torment us and bring us down. God is in the business of subduing sin, putting it down. And here it is. This is the verse that I wanted to get to. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. That's where our sins go. The depths of the sea. Now, you know, nobody really knows how deep the ocean is. But the ocean is deeper than the highest mountains are high on the earth. So know that. If you flipped over Mount Everest and dropped it in the ocean at a certain place, it would sink. <laughs> you wouldn't be able to find it because the ocean is deeper. And so this is a, a, a picture that God wants us to get. He's throwing our sins into the depths of the sea. And as someone cutely said, and he's posted a sign that said, no fishing. <laughs> so you can't dredge it up. You can't go diving for it to find it. He's cast our sins into the depths of the sea. You will give truth to Jacob and mercy to Abraham, which you have sworn to our fathers from days of old. So remember that. Now this is God's promise to Israel. And when you think of the history of the nation my goodness, how powerful are these words. But you know, we can apply them in our own lives sometimes too. We might look at our own lives and, and see just a, a trail of wreckage and a trail of sin. And it seems almost impossible that we could ever recover from it. But the Lord throws it into the depths of the sea. And he doesn't bring it up again. And he puts us on a new path toward a better future. And that, that is one of the absolutely beautiful things about the gospel, isn't it? How the gospel changes lives. 
how the gospel takes people who sin has wrecked. Sin has wrecked so many lives. In some cases, people are so wrecked by sin, it's like it's even hard to to think of them as human. They just become so dehumanized by sin. And, And to see somebody like that and then to see what happens when they have their sins forgiven, when they meet Jesus and their lives are, are then transformed, turned around. I've had this so many times. Maybe you've had this too. I've had times where I meet somebody, I'm talking to them. They're you know, a great person, really normal, well-adjusted, You'd think, man, you know, they must have the greatest upbringing. It's just, you know, they're just amazing people. And the more you get to know them, you suddenly find out like, oh, well, I, I did 25 years in prison. You're like, what? Oh, wait, wait. No, that, that's not possible. And then they give you some details about why they were in prison. And then you're like, no, no way. That could never be you. I've met several people that have stories just like that. What's the explanation? The explanation is God pardoning sin, forgiving our sin, renewing our lives. You know, people, again, kind of going back to where we started earlier with the the whole atheist mentality of that, this Christian thing, you know, what, what good is this? It doesn't do any good for anybody and who needs it and all of that. Uh, there's no proof. There's no evidence. I really think that one of the greatest empirical evidences for the reality of the gospel are the millions of changed lives that have, all of them have one thing in common. They met Jesus. That's the common denominator. Everything else, no, no connection, no association, nothing. But this is the one thing. They all met Jesus. And they are not any longer the person they used to be. That is such a glorious thing. And it's all because of who God is. Because he's a God who pardons, he's a God who delights to show mercy, and he's a God who subdues our sins and casts them into the depths of the sea. February, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled The Imperfect Disciple, Grace for People Who Can't Get Their Act Together by Jared C. Wilson. We live in a world where even Christians are enamored by those who call themselves influencers and leaders who are striving to build their platforms. But as the world focuses its attention upon how to become influencers and leaders, Jared C. Wilson will bring you back to the place of the priority of learning to follow Jesus. 
Have you become frustrated with the promises of experienced Christian growth if you just knew the five things that would help or the next five steps to take, only to find you're still in a place of defeat? Are you ready to experience Jesus in a way that's gospel-centered? Are you ready to bring your messiness to Jesus? Well, in his book, The Imperfect Disciple, Grace for People Who Can't Get Their Act Together, Jared C. Wilson will help you understand true discipleship and what it means to follow Jesus by the grace of God. You will find freedom from the to-do list discipleship, and you will be encouraged by the realities of what Jesus has already done. Discipleship is essential for spiritual growth and following Jesus. So if you want help demystifying discipleship so you can experience what it means to follow Jesus, we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com to order The Imperfect Disciple, Grace for People Who Can't Get Their Act Together by Jared C. Wilson. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we continue our series with the book of Nahum. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.